and we're going to have quiet. receipts now, I mean in the amount of $170,000 acquired from Mr. John Meyer. Mr. Meyer works for you, does he not? He does. And what is his official title? I, I don't exactly know, no. Senator. A lot of people work for me. Can you explain why your press agent would pay out more than $170,000 to representatives of the United States Air Force? Well, I don't know. I suppose you'd have to ask him, Senator. $170,000 paid out to the Air Force in the form of hotel suites, PWA stock, female companionship. Now, is it possible that these could be considered bribes? I suppose you could call them that, yes. Would you repeat that? I said, I suppose you could consider them bribes. Yes. Well, would you like to explain that, Mr. Hughes? Oh, I'm afraid you don't know how the aviation business works, Senator. You see, whining and dining Air Force dignitaries is common in our business. It's because we all want the big contracts. All the major aircraft companies do it now. I don't know whether it's a good system or not. I just know it is not illegal. You, Senator. You are the lawmaker. If you pass a law that states no one can entertain Air Force officers, well, hell, I'd be happy to abide by it. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that clip from the movie The Aviator. You know, that was a uh, that was a Senate hearing in 1947 with uh, Howard Hughes answering to the Senate about uh, some of the things that they wanted to pin on him, um, you know, about where the tax money goes and uh, how, how business gets done. And, you know, I was having a conversation with someone uh, earlier today about uh, all the all the crime and corruption and and all the all the green mail that's going on in uh, in our government and how we need to stop it and and this person made a comment said said well you know it's all the corporations' faults because they throw so much money at it and the senators and the and the Congress people can't can't uh, refuse it I say well you know that's I don't I can't blame it on the blame it on the corporations corporations are the ones that that uh, have a have a vested interest in creating profit for their stockholders the it's the uh the government people that should be able to say hey wait this isn't right this is a conflict hey this isn't this isn't how how the business should be done i should be making decisions based on what's best for the united states of america and my and my state my constituents and not making the decisions based on who's uh, who's sticking money in my pocket and uh, so that's a scene from, uh, as Howard Hughes says, hey, you know what? You guys change the laws. If as soon as it's illegal for us to do this, we'll stop doing it. And it's, you know, you've got lobbyists, you've got senators and Congress people that get out of, that get out of office and then they go on to be, to be uh, lobbyists for big corporations because they know everybody there. 
and it's a uh, it's a it's a crappy corrupt system, and uh, this should be stopped. This is this is why Donald Trump rings uh, popular with the people is because he's a billionaire. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need money from anybody. He's going to make decisions based on what he wants to do for the country and what he thinks uh, is the right thing for the country. And that in 2016 was was clear to everybody. We said, hey, enough, enough. We want somebody from the outside, someone who can't be bought. And quite frankly, it's an epidemic in our in our government and it needs to stop. It needs to stop if we ever want if we ever want to see things uh, if we ever want to see this ship righted or or else we'll just be continue to to live and our and our kids and our grandkids to live in this cesspool of of corruption that that we have now. That song was "Trying" from the Eagles from the Eagles' first album uh, in uh, memorial to uh, Randy Meisner, one of the original four in the Eagles, which was uh, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Randy Meisner, and Bernie Leadon. Um, they were the original four, the Eagles, back in 1971, and uh, that was from their first album. He passed away on Wednesday, age 77, from COPD, and uh, you know he he was with the Eagles all the way through the Hotel California album, and apparently uh, uh, got tired of of uh, having to having to be the be out in front of everybody. I guess he had a had a little bit of a shyness. Of course, he lasted all those years until like 1980. So, um, but he was the first. He was the first of the two bassists that the Eagles stole from Poco. And uh, when uh, when Randy Meisner quit, they went and stole the new his replacement, uh, Timothy B. Schmidt, for the uh, Long Run album. And uh, thereafter. So anyway, uh, that was a tribute to Randy Meisner, and uh, he was a great guy and a great, uh, great musical talent. So anyway, we're going to talk about everything that's going on in this country, or let's see the the main the main things that are going on in this country, and my opinion of it, my interpretation of it. But before I before I go any further, let me introduce myself for those that don't don't know me. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're ready to get involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and you need financing, call me toll free at eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. That's eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. One last time, day or night. Area code eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. If you want to uh, get information on uh, real estate or financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone because it's so personal, uh, go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we can do the cyber thing. You can put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll You'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates. We'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle, whether that's to uh, uh, buy a piece of property you'd like to own or to uh, refinance a piece of property you already own, whether that's in California or another state. Or if you want to find out more about that reverse mortgage thing everybody's talking about to help bridge the gap between uh, how many years you got left and how much money you got left, uh, call me or go to edhoffman.net. If you want to hear, if you missed part of the show or you want to hear something repeated, Stay on edhoffman.net. Go on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the uh, podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, subscribe for free and have it download once a week. I record on Friday mornings. It uploads Friday afternoon, and it'll download to your device shortly thereafter, and you can listen to it on demand. If you have comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, I'll respond or I'll uh, just read it or uh, or maybe I'll uh, 
talk about it on the radio if you send me something really outrageous. Um, okay, so let's get on to what's going on this week. This week we saw evidence that the wheels of justice haven't quite fallen off the wagon in America after all. Hunter Biden's uh, plea deal has fallen apart. It happened Wednesday in Delaware Federal Court when Judge Mary Ellen Norieka, or Norica, or Norica, I'm going to say Norieka because that's what it looks like to me, uh, refused to sign off on the deal that would give Hunter, Hunter Biden two misdemeanor tax charges and a diversion program instead of pleading guilty to felony gun possession and felony tax evasion, which is what you or I would have gotten for doing the same thing. But the drama actually started the day before, Tuesday, when there was some shady activity happening on the part of Hunter's defense. This is this part is being overshadowed, so let's look at it first. Here's what happened. On Tuesday morning, the House Ways and Means Committee filed an amicus brief to send Judge Norieka uh, their findings, including the IRS whistleblower testimony from last week. So they sent out a message to uh, to the judge and said, hey, we had this hearing just in case you weren't watching on TV or watching the news when you got home. Here's what we found out. Then at 1.30 p.m. on that day, the Ways and Means Committee attorney received a call from the court. The court said, we've already heard from someone working with your office, and they told us to remove this evidence from the docket. Oh, really? Is that really what happened? Have we really sank, have we really sunk that far, that low? So who made that call? It's a woman named Jessica Bengals. How did they find that out? I wonder how. Anyway, they know. She's an attorney at Chris Clark's former law firm. Chris Clark is Hunter Biden's attorney. So Hunter Biden's attorney calls a friend at his former law firm and has her call the Ways and Means Committee and impersonate someone and say, ah, take that off the docket. In other words... Um, they asked a friend to misrepresent, he asked a friend to misrepresent herself. She either told them she's from the prosecution or the Ways and Means Committee as an attempt to get evidence removed. Hmm. That's just about as slimy as it gets as far as I'm concerned. Fortunately, Team Hunter's dirty trick didn't work because the judge did not approve the plea. Here's how that unfolded. During the Wednesday hearing, Judge Norieka learned that prosecutors are still investigating Hunter despite Hunter's team being under the impression that he has blanket immunity for all crimes. I would like to have that. I wonder who I see about that. I'd like to have blanket immunity from all crimes in the past and in the future. Uh, what does that do for people? Well, it's kind of what we have in California. Hey, you know what? If you uh, go and vandalize something, we're not going to arrest you. And if you steal something less than $9.50, we're not going to arrest you. And uh, we're just going to give you a ticket and give you a hearing date. And if you don't show up, we're not going to arrest you for that either. And we're seeing how that's unfolding here in California. Uh, the lawlessness and the uh, the toilet that our state is becoming. So the, prosecutors, the, so the prosecutors got cold feet on the deal they struck with Hunter's defense. And they told the judge that he could still indeed be charged with future crimes, including falling, failing to register as a foreign agent or the FARA charges that they keep saying on TV. Um, at that point, Judge Norieka told the prosecutors, you're telling me to rubber stamp the agreement. I have concerns about the agreement. I can't tell him to plead to something if he thinks he has protection from something, and he doesn't. I'm not going to say I'm not going to accept the agreement, and I'm not going to say I'll deny it. 
The parties now have 30 days to brief her, and the ruling could now be delayed for a month or more. More on what, more on what went on in the courtroom. From CBS News. Earlier in the hearing, Noriega questioned Hunter Biden on topics ranging from the his, his history of addiction to his business ventures, both foreign and domestic, plus his sexual habits. Oh, no, no, I just added that in. She got that from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, pictures that she showed at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the other hearing. Soon after the hearing began, Noriega said she was confused by the deal's diversion agreement, which called for Biden to remain drug-free without committing additional crimes in order to see the gun charge dismissed. Drug-free? He's doing cocaine in the White House. He's uh, smoking uh, smoking weed with uh, some business uh, associate, some uh, attorney, Kevin Morris, at his apartment in Hollywood. Uh, the guy who paid his two million dollar tax bill. Of course, we didn't see uh, we didn't see by uh, Hunter Biden actually smoking from the bong. We saw Kevin Morris do it, but uh, you know, you know. Hunter Biden being being there while he's smoking weed from a bong and making him uh, smoke weed alone. That's just rude. Hunter Biden would not allow that to happen. Biden's in a blue suit, white shirt, and a dark tie. Appeared visibly frustrated as Noriega deferred the agreement. I was just inches from a clean getaway. Yeah, Hunter Biden thought he was just inches from a clean getaway. And all of a sudden, it all fell apart. After the, after, the, after the deal appeared to break down, the prosecutors and defense attorneys took three separate breaks to huddle and discuss ways, ways forward. Inside the courtroom, a frustrated Chris Clark at one point blurted out, This was all negotiated! I don't know what you're trying to accomplish, Clark said, speaking to the prosecutors. We'll rip it up! And of course, uh, just like Joe Biden, uh, he probably thinks that he sounds more effective when he yells or when he seems, uh, seems annoyed. Sounds like a scene from Seinfeld. Right now I sit around pretending that I'm busy. How do you pull that off? I always look annoyed. <laughs> yeah, when you look annoyed all the time, people think that you're busy. So uh, the effort was high stakes negotiation in real time with a federal judge and a gallery full of reporters standing by. And it failed. Failed, it failed, it failed. After the deal collapsed, Hunter Biden entered a not guilty plea. Uh, what else would he do? Uh, I mean, uh, why not? All right, not guilty. He's already told the world that he's guilty, but uh, sure, I'll enter a plea of not guilty for now, just to just to. Uh, well, if you're not going to give me a blanket immunity, I'm going to say I'm not guilty at all. That's the ticket. So we all watch this stuff, and we just go, we just shake our head. Say we know that we know this guy's that we know this guy's a felon. We know uh, we know he's still do, using drugs. You can tell by by how he acts when he's in public. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just for the, it's just a big charade. Judge Noriega said conditions for Hunter to stay out of jail include his dad being the president. Oh, uh, she didn't put that in there. Well, I just added that one in myself. Actively seeking employment. Yeah, I don't think that's likely. Yeah, right. He's going to go, uh, he's going to go get a job. Staying away from drugs and alcohol. Good luck. Not likely. He's still, uh, he's still doing cocaine and weed. We all know it. Uh, of course, uh, maybe we don't know because they couldn't find that little. They couldn't find who dropped that little bag of cocaine in the White House. And I called, and of course, they told us at first that that's a area. It was dropped in an area that was frequent by tourists all the time. But 
you know, after they after they said, uh, well, we can't figure it out. Uh, we find out later that that was by high high level officials. You were in those those areas, and tourists were not submitting to a random drug test. He has to submit to random drug testing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. You know, uh, sounds like a scene from uh, American Beauty. You know, he'll just keep uh, he'll just keep uh, some uh, some urine from a friend in his freezer. Oh wait, hey hey, can you give me a, can you take a take a uh, urine test? Oh well, I just took a, I just took a piece, so I'll have to wait till the morning. I'll fill it up in the morning, take the little cup out of the freezer, and let it thaw out overnight. Uh, I'm sure you guys have all seen that. And of course, not possessing a firearm, which uh, might be the only thing that he has a chance of pulling off because uh, I don't think he has a gun because I think the Secret Service took it. So, uh, but even before the hearing on Wednesday, the White House messaging on Hunter Biden suddenly shifted from what we've been hearing since 2019. Here's what we're used to hearing. I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business. President Biden, how involved were you in your son's Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? Were you involved? Were you involved? Were you? No. So now we know that Hunter Biden was driving Joe's Corvette around with two bikini-clad girl, bikini-clad girls next to him the same day that China shakedown calls. So it seems pretty likely that Joe was sitting with Hunter at the Wilmington house when Hunter was sending that WhatsApp message. You know, the, I'm sitting here with my father, and we're waiting for to get this resolved about why you didn't send us the $10 million, you only sent us $5 million. Remember that message from two, three weeks ago? So uh, uh, Biden, Biden keeps saying, well, I wasn't with him. No, I wasn't with him. Uh, but he was there at the, the at the Wilmington, Delaware house on that day, and he was driving Joe's Corvette around with two chicks in the front. Someone must have told Joe Biden it's getting harder for him to get away with yelling at reporters who try to ask if he knew that what Hunter was doing. So here's how Karine Jean-Pierre changed the messaging on Monday. I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. Really, that's not what the message was before. The message the message was the president has never talked to his son about his overseas dealing. Even when they were coming home on Air, and on Air Force Two from China, when uh, all he did was go over there and meet with some people while Hunter was was making a deal with uh, with his own private deal, and the and then they all got on the plane and flew back. And I don't know how far, how long it takes to fly back from China. To Washington D.C., but I would guess it's probably 10, 15 hours or more, um, and they never even talked about it. Yeah, right. So she's clearly changed the the message, and uh, but you know the the breakdown of Hunter's plea deal comes the same t- time this week as this interesting bit of news from Washington Times. The IRS stops its surprise visits to taxpayers. The IRS, bloodied by bad press, promised Monday to reverse course and stop sending officers to make surprise house calls to collect unpaid taxes from Americans. Well, making surprise visits to Republicans or anti-Democrat people anyway, because I don't really think they do that surprise visits. I have been in the uh, IRS's tax, uh, in the crosshairs in the uh, in my history, and uh, they send letters, and they send certified letters, and they send, uh, uh, but the, they don't often come and make surprise visits. Commissioner Danny Werfel said tens of thousands of home visits each year made made a bad impression. Well, I didn't realize I didn't realize that people were doing that, but and I've never really heard about it unless it's a high 
a uh, high-profile Republican, you know, like Matt Taibbi, who was uh, doing all the reporting on the Twitter files after uh, after uh, Elon Musk took it over. We're taking a fresh look at how the IRS operates to better serve taxpayers in the nation. And making this change is a common-sense step. Mr. Werfel said, the tax agency is trying to rebrand itself as a friendlier to the average taxpayer while getting tougher on big-dollar tax cheats. Maybe they can start with Hunter Biden, $2.2 million over four years. And, of course, it's not its not the big-dollar tax cheats. It's not the billionaires that are the big tax cheats. It's the just over-average Americans. It's the guys that are self-employed, making two hundred grand and writing it down to 40000 so they have no tax bill. Um, and, of course, you've heard me say it. All they got to do is pull people's credits. You know, if a, if a guy says he's making $40,000 a year, which is about – 3500 bucks a month. Um, and he, you look at his credit report. You don't have to look at his bank statement and analyze his, his deposits. Look at his credit report. He's got a $5,000 a month, $5,000 a month house payment. And he makes it on time every, every uh, month. And he's got a, you know, a thousand dollar car payment, which car payments are under a thousand bucks these days. And, uh, he's, he's carrying all kinds of debt, but he says he only makes 40,000 a year. Something is fishy there. I don't know. But as to the gun charge for Hunter, lying on a firearms application, which carries 10 years behind bars for other Americans, is only a felony because Joe Biden signed that into law. The Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act of 1993, ushered into law by then-Senator Joe Biden at the time at the time chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, made Form 4473 a, uh, a key part of the background checks for gun purchases mandated by law Lying on a firearm form is a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison. So he lied on the form saying he'd never had a drug addiction problem and uh, uh, he's never had a he's never been a user of or addicted to illegal drugs. Karine Jean-Pierre asked about that in a, in a briefing on Wednesday. And when the senator crafted gun legislation, as a president, he talks often about the need to get illegal firearms off of our streets. So when someone possesses one illegally, what does the president believe should happen to them? The president has been very clear. You just laid out where his position has been, what his policies have been, what he was able to pass into law. I'm going to be very mindful here. I'm going to be very careful because I see where this question is going. And I'm just going to refer you as this has been an independent investigation. It's overseen by the Department of Justice. I'm going to let them speak to this as they are moving forward. Which means, basically, I don't have an answer to this that satisfies the question and doesn't uh, uh, doesn't incriminate the president for having two two sets of justice. Well, it's an independent. Is well, if it's independent, they should read the law and say a guy who uh, lies on his on his uh, application for a gun to buy a gun goes to uh, jail for up to ten years. That seems like the easiest thing, the independent thing. You know that we we don't make the laws; we just enforce the laws. So I don't know. This just seems like uh, common sense to me. But KJP can't come up with an answer. It doesn't incriminate her boss and his family. So I'm just going to defer that to the Department of Justice, which they won't ask anyway. Um, Speaker Kevin McCarthy was on Hannity this week, teasing a possible Biden impeachment inquiry. This president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit his family and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. 
I believe we will follow this all the way to the end, and this is going to rise to an impeachment inquiry the way the Constitution tells us to do this, and we have to get the answers to these questions. Well, it's about time that we started uh, considering impeachment. Of course, uh, I know the Republicans don't think they can get it through, and of course, it doesn't matter because uh, like the like the uh, uh, Democrats did to, to Donald Trump, if we can mash one through, mash one through, we'll just keep talking about how he got impeached, but we don't want him to be removed because then we have uh, uh, Kamala Harris, which is as bad or worse. Well, uh, of course, of course, uh, somebody asked him about him starting impeachment, and of course, Kevin McCarthy made a big deal on it after that, saying, "I didn't say we were going to impeach; I said it's an impeachment inquiry." And of course, he started uh, arguing in its semantics instead of saying, "Hey, Biden deserves to be impeached," and uh, standing up strong like we expect him to. But you know what? Uh, McCarthy is only a part-time. Uh, tough guy. Anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be back with lots, lots of more. with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio because uh, if you're not in the market, it might be boring. But if you're in the market to buy or refinance or you want to learn more about one of those reverse mortgage things, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo and do the cyber thing. That song I opened up the second half was Try and Love Again from the Eagles as well. Uh, written by Randy Meisner on the Hotel California album. Uh, once again, we lost him on Wednesday and uh, he will be truly missed. He's a musical, uh, a musical talent that was part of the uh, the soundtrack of all of our lives, and uh, sad when we see our see our uh, our uh, people in our lives that that leave us as we get older. So anyway, uh, in the first half we talked about 
We talked about the Hunter Biden uh, plea deal falling apart and basically the Biden crime family uh, uh, coming, uh, becoming more and more transparent. You know what the, uh, and of course, and of course, uh, as soon as all that came out, we got another, another indictment on uh, President Trump um, on some more, some more uh, uh, classified documents. And of course, you know, whenever there's something bad on Biden, we got to change the news cycle. So throw something else at Donald Trump. It's becoming really nauseating to see all these things. Hey, we're, we're, we're indicting him again. We're indicting him again. We're indicting him again. Nothing. Trump did even even comes close to what Biden did, you know, and by, you know, hey, was he allowed to take classified documents out of the White House? Well, every president does. And it seems like every every vice president does. And even and even uh, Senator Joe Biden. Senators are absolutely not allowed to to have have uh, classified documents, but he had them. And of course, there's an independent uh, uh, independent. investigation going on but no one's heard anything about i'm just wondering when's that going to come to light what are they going to do about that well we don't do anything because his name is biden you know if your name is biden or clinton you're immune from all laws you know i used to say that about my dad you know what hey the tax laws are for everybody except mel hoffman so uh but not to compare my dad to uh the bidens or the clintons because he never suicided anybody uh, that I'm aware of, anyway. So, um, so hence, we watch this. We watch all this stuff go on, and we watch uh, the the Democrats throw something else to change the headlines. It's just so obvious to everybody. Hey, you know what? Why are they doing this to Trump now? They're doing something else. Why? Because the headlines were all looking at Biden. Keep your eyes focused on the prize, everyone. So uh, now the Republican primary campaign is uh, the first primary debate is one month away. Here's how the candidates qualify to be on the stage for the debate and who's qualified as of today and what they're saying about it. So how they qualify. Candidates need to reach an individual, you know, and this first debate is on August 23rd. I'll be on a cruise ship in uh, somewhere in Italy at the time, and I'm just uh, hoping that they have a, uh, the debate. I hope they have Fox News on there because uh, I guess they'll have they'll have Wi-Fi, so I can watch it on my computer. Because I'm sure by then I'll be vacationed out. It'll be the night before we port and uh, head head home to the to the United States. Um, candidates need to reach an individual donor threshold of forty thousand unique donors. What's a unique donor? I guess uh, I guess if your name is uh, Robert, you can donate as as Robert and Bob and Bobby and Rob, and those are all unique donors. And of course, then you can do the same thing for your wife, uh, whose name is Chris, and she can make Chris and Christine and Christy, and uh, there's uh, that that way uh, two people became eight. Um, so you got to have forty thousand unique donors with two hundred with two hundred donors in twenty different states or territories. So I guess forty it's in twenty different states, and got to have two hundred donors in each of those twenty states or territories. So uh, easy, easy way to cheat um, on that, but they still got to have 40,000 unique donors. Then they need to hit 1% in three national polls that meet the RNC's methodological requirements or 1% in two national polls and 1% in two polls conducted separate from the four early states. Rather than try to figure that out, we can look at Politico 
and what they've had to say, what they've reported as they continue to track all the candidates. So far, who has qualified as of this week? Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, and Tim Scott. So it doesn't look like it's going to be 12 people there. So far, it's going to be six. Who's missing from that? Mike Pence. Mike Pence, the the uh, the dazzling personality vice president who uh, decided to uh, not stand up to what we all knew happened in 2020. Pence has now hit the polling threshold, but not has yet, not as of yet, has met the donor requirements, and his polling isn't great, coming in at four percent and one third of respondents saying that he's the he's the candidate they would never vote for. Pence reacted to this on Monday. I know that uh, some of the pundits and the pollsters think it's different out there, but I got to tell you, based on the enthusiasm and the support that we're seeing, not only across New Hampshire this week, but Iowa and states around the country, I'm 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 absolutely convinced that uh, we're going to have a new standard bearer in this party. Yeah, it probably won't be Mike Pence, but we'll have a new standard bearer. And of course, it's uh, easy to get excited about the enthusiasm when you walk into a room of 20 people and all 20 people are there to see you. And they're all cheering. Wow, look at the enthusiasm. Everybody in this room is cheering for me. And you know what? You And you could see you could see when the candidates speak, including Biden, um, they're just not that big of an enthusiasm other than Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the ones that are getting uh, multi-thousands of people showing up and people going crazy uh, with enthusiasm because, well, quite frankly, he's, he's different than everybody else. So the Fox News poll... Fox News poll says uh, so far this week says uh, 2024 GOP presidential nominee preference among Republican primary voters. 56 percent are uh, in favor of Donald Trump. 22 percent for Ron DeSantis. Vivek Ramaswamy is getting five. And quite frankly, I like Vivek Ramaswamy. But the only issue is he's a younger he's younger uh, version of Trump. But he sounds exactly like Trump. Um, and I just don't know that he's anything that different. Mike Pence is at 4%, Tim Scott at 4%, Nikki Haley at 3%. But here's another poll. Fox News poll did said, among GOP primary voters, percent who would never vote for, who they would never vote for, 35% said they would never vote for Mike Pence. 20% said they would never vote for Nikki Haley. 16% wouldn't vote for Vivek Ramaswamy. And the only reason I can think of is because his name, because he sounds like a sharp dude. Sixteen uh, percent for Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis. Fourteen percent of the people said they won't vote for him, and thirteen percent said they would never vote for Donald Trump. That seems low compared to what you hear on uh, uh, CNN and uh, MSNBC. It's been one month since Trump told Fox's Brett Baer that he might not show up to the first debate, which Fox is hosting in Milwaukee on August twenty-third. Why would I allow a hostile network, Fox? You know, pretty hostile. Why would I allow... You get a fair shake. Okay, but I mean, this is a fair interview, but it's hostile. It's on the hostile side. I wouldn't say it's a puff piece, but that's okay. Hey, Brett, why would I allow a hostile network and then allow people that are polling at zero? Christie's like at 1% or less. Uh, Many of them, Nikki Haley's at 2%. So why would I allow people at 1% and 2% and 0% to be hitting me with questions all night? You know, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, I'll tell you why, because uh, you won't be there to, uh, to fire back at him. And uh, that won't be in your favor. And, you know, he talks about 
uh, Fox being a hostile network. Remember the the Fox uh, the Fox debate um, four years ago, where uh, Chris Matthews came in and saved um, Joe Biden from having to answer questions that would have incriminated him. And uh, so, is it a hostile network? If you watch Fox these days, if you watch Fox these days, you can tell there's a there's a different feel since. Uh, the Murdoch sons took it over, and there's kind of a half of the half of the group sounds like they're anti-Trump, and half of them seem like they're still pro-Trump. Um, you know, the nighttime, the primetime people uh, still still seem to support him, but you know, the daytime you got Neil Cavuto, and you know, Brett Bears up and down. It, it depends, but you can you can hear that some of them just are saying, "Hey, you know, they're they're just not supporters anymore." Uh, here are those two low-polling opponents, Chris Christie and uh, Nikki Haley, in response to Trump's comments. I think he'll be there because, look, I've known him for a long time, as you know. Um, his ego, I think, will not permit him to have a big TV show that he's not on. Um, and I think he'd be enormously frustrated sitting back in Bedminster and watching what I'm going to do to him Sounds on like that stage. Sounds like you're baiting him to come in. No, look, I mean, I don't think I have to, but I'm happy to say right now, come on, Donald. Get on the stage and defend your record. I think I want Trump in the debate. And the reason is, I think the American people deserve to know what their options are. And really, it's offensive for a candidate to say they're not going to be on stage. You're, you're basically trying to earn the support of the American people. You can't earn the support of the American people if you're absent. Yeah, I would agree with both those comments. I would agree that uh, that uh, he's uh, Trump's not going to want to sit back and not be on the stage. Um, and I think... Trump saying this is just some more controversy that that Trump likes to rattle rattle things and keep people talking. And uh, Nikki Haley says, "Hey, you know what? I want him on that stage. the 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 uh, American people deserve it. I don't really think she cares what the American people deserve. She just doesn't want. She wants it to be there. He wants him to be there because that'll make make sure that more people are watching and the ratings. And of course, uh, uh, Chris Christie says, you know he." He's not going to want to sit at home and see what I'm going to do to him on the stage. I don't think he's afraid of what he's going to do to him. Hey, hey, guess what? Hey, uh, Chris, I'll admit I, I, was, uh, I was a newcomer to the political stage, and I took advice from people like you when I, when I uh, opted to take out James Comey and put in Christopher Ray. I should have actually taken, uh, taken uh, uh, advice from someone with a brain. And uh, I'm sure I could I could hear that coming out of Trump's mouth already. As for the candidate who trails Trump the most closely, but still 30 points behind, Ron DeSantis is experiencing a major campaign lull, and there's no signs of revival on the horizon. Now DeSantis is being compared to another Republican governor and presidential candidate of the past. Remember Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker? He was all the rage in January of 2015, only to have his campaign peter out by the summer until he was pulling at 1% by September, you know, a year and two months before the election when he dropped out. And I will tell you that in uh, in 2016, Scott Walker was my number one going into it. And I read his book. Uh, I read his book of what he did in, in Wisconsin, how he took on the, the teachers' unions and how he— uh, how the how the uh, the Democrats were just leaving the state so they wouldn't have to vote on things and how he handled it and I thought he was excellent and I said if he could do the same thing to our country um, I think the teachers unions in this country are a problem and I think if he could stand up to them he would be great 
my next my next choice behind him was Rick Perry, who I had actually met, and Rick Perry has a has a very dazzling personality, and he's got a good presence, which Scott Walker apparently did not. You know, then uh, Ben Carson, Ben Carson was my next, and then Carly Fiorina, and then uh, at first I was putting Ted Cruz in number five, and before I uh, before I realized that he's not really doesn't qualify as a natural born citizen because uh, while his dad, while he was born in Canada, and while his dad was a citizen at the time of his birth, his mom was not. And I said, you know what? If if uh, if all you had to do have if you're born outside the country is one citizen parent, then no one would have said anything about Barack Obama because Barack Obama, we knew his mom was a citizen. So the question was, was his, uh, was he born in the United States? Because if he was born outside, we know his dad was not a citizen. So uh, after I figured that out, Trump moved into fifth. I just didn't think he was, he was uh, si- serious at that point. And of course, I uh, tweeted out about a year before that, you know, if, if uh, Trump if, if people believe that Trump was really serious, this guy could could really make some big changes in this country. Um, and uh, I was right. I was right. So uh, from the Hill this week, is Ron DeSantis the next Scott Walker? Oh, you know, and I'll also point out that the personality thing is a big deal. And think about Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad guy, writes great books. He's a super smart guy. But when you see him talking in public or you on video or, or you listen to him, He's a boring speaker. He's a boring speaker. Doesn't doesn't uh, connect. And for the same at the same same observation, I'll bring out Elon Musk. Elon Musk clearly brilliant. He's a smart guy. He has good things to say. But when you see him talk talk uh, in public, he mumbles and he's just not he's just not dynamic. He's not dynamic. His brain has dynamic things going on. His life is producing dynamic stuff. But he's just not a dynamic speaker, and I think that's what you need to be president. So is Ron DeSantis the next Scott Walker? Nine months ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was regarded as in the GOP in the GOP circles as a savvier, younger, and more electable version of the former President Trump. In other words, Trump without the baggage. Now DeSantis is more commonly typified as the next Scott Walker, the former Wisconsin governor who famously dropped out of the 2016 Republican presidential primary after being considered an early frontrunner. DeSantis trails Trump by 30 points with 16% support to Trump's 46. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina is gaining momentum on DeSantis with 10% support, a sign that voters seeking, are seeking an alternative to Trump are looking past DeSantis. The article goes on to say that Tim Scott is gaining momentum on DeSantis, his donors have, have stopped giving, and there's internal campaign chaos. It says campaign has embarked on a course correction by firing staff and shaking up leadership. Uh, and, they're, and they're also talking about Vivek Ramaswamy as well as being in a, on an upward trend as well. So, uh, so he's going through a course correction by firing staff and shaking up the leadership. Will it work? Here's Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway on that. A reboot has helped, but usually not six weeks after you've launched your campaign. You actually don't reboot while the ink is still wet um, on your campaign documents. So DeSantis is a good governor. He's run a bad campaign. Uh, he does way too much woke and way too much COVID. So I think he should have waited and for many different reasons. And I think he's kind of ruined himself for 2028. Well, I agree that uh, I agree he should have waited for 2028. I agree that... Um 
I agree that he should should have waited. I agree that he's he's missing something there, and it's a little bit more experience. And uh, and and mostly, I think the issue with DeSantis. I don't think it's a big deal that he's shaking up his campaign six weeks into it, whether it's six weeks or six months. I don't think it's a big deal. He's he's making course corrections. Um, I think I think if if he doesn't destroy himself with Trump, a Trump DeSantis ticket could be really great as well. And put him in position for 2028 of course a trump tim scott ticket could be really great as well and uh so i could go i could uh i could go either way um but you know the biggest deal for desantis is the trump people are too focused on trump me included and it's not because we that we feel that trump deserves a second chance that he deserves a second term I think we feel that America deserves a second term of Trump because we saw what he did in his first term and we got cheated out of the second half of it that he was he created a energy independence he created a secure border he created a respect across the country for with the other countries uh respect among our enemies and and our uh, allies um he made us proud to be Americans again and we deserve another another 4 years of that and then let him hand it off to another Republican who will carry the carry the same flag, and of course, no one's going to be Trump. But let us be on the right path instead of the Republicans always getting it after the Democrats screw up the whole country. And we know that Trump Trump is strong enough to make the changes that need to be made. So, uh, but it's not that Trump deserves a second term; it's that America deserves a second term of Trump. So uh, one thing that's not fair to DeSantis, though, is the manufactured outrage from the left about the state's new standards for teaching black history. It all started with a calculated move on the part of the Democrats when they took a 216-page document outlining what would be taught in Florida black history curriculum, pulled one 16-word sentence out of it, and handed it to Vice President Kamala Harris before she gave a speech in Jacksonville. The sentence... Instruction includes how slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Harris took it from there. They want to replace history with lies. Middle school students in Florida to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us and we will not have it. Instead, they dare to push propaganda to our children. This is the United States of America. We're not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's the United States of America. We're not supposed to we're not supposed to lie to people. So why is she lying? Because that's not that's not even anything it said had to say in the curriculum. Ron DeSantis responded to Kamala's rant saying she's perpetuating a hoax. Absolutely ridiculous. It's totally outrageous. You guys can look on the website of the Florida Department of Education. You know, they got a lot of scholars together to do uh, a lot of standards and a lot of different things, but these are the most robust standards in African-American history, probably anywhere in the country. She's going to come down uh, to the state of Florida um, and try to chirp and try try to demagogue. And the Democrats got exactly what they wanted out of this because the media ate it up. Free housing, permanent employment, and all-you-can-eat cornbread. Board of Education of Florida wants you to see that job description and think, you know, maybe slavery wasn't so bad. Just because black people write it don't mean that it, it doesn't mean it's going to be accurate. Shame on you people in Florida. How dare you try to whitewash slavery? Yeah, all that 
phony outrage. Here's what's actually in the curriculum per PolitiFact. The part of, the, of Florida's new standards that Harris was citing for grades six through eight, quote, examines the various duties and trades performed by slaves, agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, and transportation. The rest of the document includes specific standards about how slavery, about slavery, including the conditions for Africans as they were brought to America. It covers how enslaved people became property without rights, abolitionist movements, state and federal laws, revolts by slaves, and the Civil War. Lessons about black history include later eras such as Reconstruction, Jim Crow laws, lynchings, contributions of black Americans during both wars, and the modern civil rights movement. Sounds pretty accurate, and William B. Allen, a black history scholar at Michigan State University who helped develop this curriculum, agrees. It is the case that Africans proved resourceful, resilient, and adaptive, and were able to develop skills and aptitudes which served to their benefit, both while enslaved and after enslavement. You know what? Um, I think it's talking down on, on, uh, on African Americans and the slaves uh, to say that they didn't get something out of it. If you read my book, Experience Matters, you find that there's a lesson in every experience that you experience. And of course, you can, you can, you can learn from other people's experiences as well. So uh, if you haven't read my book, Experience Matters, here's mine. Get it on edhoffman.net or uh, audiobook on Apple, Apple Books or uh, Audible. Um, but you know, despite, despite what William B. Allen just said, the White House used the birthday of Emmett Till to exploit this manufactured racism that they created. Emmett Till was a victim of actual racism, tragically lynched at age 14 in 1955. When signing a proclamation to create a monument to Till and his mother, Mamie, whose actions helped start the civil rights movement, Joe Biden got on the mic and showed support for Kamala's stunt. I want to thank Kamala for her not only uh, capacity to do what she does, but the fire with which she brings to the things she cares a lot about. While darkness and denialism can hide much, they erase nothing. We can't just choose to learn what we want to know. We have to learn what we should know. We should know about our country. We should know everything, the good, the bad, the truth, of who we are as a nation. That's what great nations do. And we are a great nation. That's what they do. For only with truth comes healing, justice, repair, and another step forward toward forming a more perfect union. We've got a hell of a long way to go. Yeah, he quotes uh, all the all the reasons to tell the truth and to know the truth until it comes to his family. And of course, he uh, he he loves Kamala and her capacity to do what she does, make him look smart. So anyway, hey, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So uh, thanks for listening. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week. <laughs>